What is up, Combo Nation? And welcome to episode 463 of Combo's Court. And you know who it is. I am Combo. Today's show, Adam Marez of DNVR Nuggets Podcast joins in to talk about the Jokic MVP discussion. MPJ's development is Jamal all the way back to Bubble Murray and much more. Just a fantastic conversation with Adam. Go subscribe to the DNVR Nuggets podcast. Intro music by Luca Beats. Let's get into it. Adam Mares, DNBR Sports, covers everything Nuggets. How are you, man? Doing good, man. Playoff season. I'm in the groove. Is it frustrating for you that the conversation around the team on a national level is always revolved around the MVP Jokic <laughs> discussion? Yeah, I mean, it's boring when you're in it, you know? Right. Like, and, and since I'm covering Denver, I'm in it nonstop. It's what everybody wants to ask about, everybody wants to talk about. And yeah, like this is an interesting team. And I do think that the story gets whittled down into one narrative, which is obviously the MVP narrative. And after three years of it, I just don't find it interesting anymore. I do have to say one thing about the narrative, and I definitely want to get on to different Nuggets conversations. But my only thing is, is when people talk about Nikola Jokic and they say that we're going to put him in rarefied air if he wins three in a row. I don't think that's fair at all because I think we have to look at each season individually. Now, if you don't feel like Jokic is the MVP, don't vote for him. But if you feel like Jokic is the MVP and then you don't vote for him because we're going to look back and see three MVPs in a row, I just don't get it at all. It's hard, man. I mean, I see both sides of it, to be honest with you. I see the idea of historical precedent and and are you too prisoner of the moment like right now are we looking at analytics are we looking at stats like triple doubles and stuff like that and overvaluing them because we don't realize we're in a shift so i understand that but at the same time i understand that let's just analyze each year and use the mvp as a time capsule of that year and forget about back to back and and years in a row so honestly i see both sides of that debate i don't know which way is right or wrong um, but this year, to be honest with you, I think that the case became a lot easier with the way Jokic closed the season, sitting out so many games, playing poorly and the Nuggets losing. I almost feel like he gave it away, maybe intentionally, but certainly made it easier for voters to go a different direction. I mean, it shows that it's not his biggest concern. For sure. Yeah. yeah. Well, what's funny is he was averaging a triple double before the stat padding comment. And since then, he tanked it. Like it's all the way down from to, to 9.8. Like he had a bunch of four assists, five assists games to close the season. And some of that was end of the year, he would play a half and then sit. So yeah. I almost feel like he reversed stat padded as a, like a sort of like, look at how much I don't care. Look, I don't know Jokic personally, but when I read the room and just kind of seeing the way he is, I doubt he's a guy that really cares about stats that, that much. I think his biggest concern is winning a championship. All right, let's talk about, Something else, Nuggets. I said we talk, uh, there's too much focus on the MVP talk, and that's where we started, and that's what we talked about. But um, <laughs> MPJ, there was so much talk about him when the injury happened. You know, will this guy ever be the same again? And he comes back, 
and he's playing great, highly efficient, doesn't even play 30 minutes a game. I think on another team like this guy could be a 25 to 27 um, points per game score. What have you seen from him over the course of the season? And why do you think nobody's talking about this guy? I, again, I just think that there's only – everybody has room in their brain for one story per team. I really think right. that's how it works. So Denver's story is MVP, and then there's no room for anything else. But to me, Michael Porter has been the most interesting part of the Nuggets season. For all the reasons you just said, you know, his career arc outside of the injury part, which is obviously the biggest part, you know, his college career got shut sh short. His NBA uh, career started with a red sh shirt year. Then he had another off year. So it's been these little, like – gaps and leaps and starts for him but this year is the year to me Michael Porter had one of the best shots coming out of the draft or coming into the draft one of the best shots I've ever seen he was a pure jump shooter not just from three but from mid-range from everywhere he just has that incredible jump shooting touch but he didn't necessarily have a great feel for the game probably because of the years he missed you know in college and this or that I think there was a lot of feel in basketball IQ that he had a lot of ground to make up to me this is the first year where that all connected for him where he really figured out where he fits, not just where he gets his own shot, but where he fits within the flow of this Denver Jokic-led offense. And he's getting more shots than before, at least within the flow of the offense. But to me, that's what's so neat about the season is you take a guy that has talent and skill, and this is the year it's translated into actual impact. And so for me, I, I think it's one of the things that's very different about the Nuggets this year and years past. Obviously, you bring back Jamal Murray. You add great role players in KCP and Aaron Gordon. But Michael Porter is just more capable of being a guy that you have to adjust to. Not a guy you hope, oh, shooter, you know, don't leave him, run him off the line or whatever. But now it's, no, we've got to try to figure out how to take things away from him while also taking away things from Jamal and, and Nikola Jokic. Yeah, and he's doing a great job moving without the ball. Defensively, he's gotten better over the years. What would you see from him? What would you like to see from him from a development standpoint? Maybe like target areas where he can improve. Uh, this one's easy for me. It's his handle. I, th I think the mm -hmm. handle is the part of his game that can unlock everything else. Um, because, again, he, he makes shots when he gets open. And right now, he's I, I always say he's a wide receiver, not a running back. Meaning, like, he has to move off ball to get open, like Clay Thompson. But if he can add just a little bit more handle to his game, I think he can run more pick and roll actions, more ISO actions when he gets a switch. Right now, if he gets a switch, you're looking over the top, you're looking into the post so he can just turn face and shoot. But if you can get him to where, okay, you got a favorable mismatch, maybe Mike Conley in this series gets switched onto him, but it's at the elbow. Right now, I don't think you like that because Porter's probably just going to a jump shot. But if you can just work on and refine and tighten up that handle a little bit, that becomes a little bit more of a, okay, I can dribble drive on this undersized guy now and get to the cup. That's fair. And handles the thing. I mean, I've been working on my game my whole life. So handles the thing you could definitely improve upon. Do you think playing with Jokic and Murray has stunted his growth in that regard in any way? Probably, to be honest with you. Like, there's just only so much you're able to handle the ball in that offense. Jokic touching it every right. time. Murray's the primary. He's the running back of the team. The ball's in his hands. So... I think that the answer is yes, but at the same time, the Nuggets are kind of like the Warriors in that you stunt one aspect of your game, that isolation hand part, the handle part, but I think he's grown the off-ball part of the game, which is the most underrated aspect of basketball to me. Mm -hmm. It's the thing when we talk about MVPs, when we talk about talent, all-stars, this or that, people think about how good does this guy score in one-on-one -on -one situations, get open, create something from nothing, but you create something from nothing off-ball all the time. Great players 
I mean, Steph Curry, it's so funny to watch Steph Curry's impact on the, on the NBA. We're 10 years into the Steph Curry impact, and nobody really copies the off-ball portion of his game. People copy the deep three. They copy the pick-and-roll game, the step-back, the sidestep. Like, everybody's doing that stuff. But you watch a Damian Lillard, for example, like the, the guy I think people most think is like right below Steph or whatever in that mold. But he's not doing the off-ball stuff the way Steph is. He's not running around. And, and Steph is so comfortable off-ball putting pressure on the defense, even if he doesn't touch it. And I think Michael Porter has learned a lot of that. So there's, yes, he's sacrificed a little, but I think he's gained a little too. You're right. Like when you look at Luca, Trey, Harden, they never yeah. really got that side of it yet, right? At all. They're not trying though. I think yeah, because yeah. it's the less sexy part and it's, I, I don't know. Like if there's something to it that guys just look at that part and are like, no, I don't want, I want to be Steph. Well, do you want to do this? No, I want to do that part of Steph. Yeah, exactly. Um, Murray, I don't know if you want to put a percentage a percentage on it when it comes to Jamal Murray, but how close is he back to bubble Murray? I believe, you know, the athleticism is not quite there yet, but there is some craft around, around the lane that he's showing. Like, even you saw some of the finishes in that first game, just incredible. I think he got him better in that regard. The thing is, like, if your athleticism is not the same, and I always say this about older players, you could still improve upon your skill, and I think yep. he's done that. But Ooh. how close is he to bubble Murray at this point. So here's the interesting thing about bubble Murray going into like during quarantine, for whatever reason, he got into the best shape of his life. And then he went into the bubble where there was nothing to do, but work out, go to the pool. That was it. Right, right. And he improved on his shape. He was so quick. He was the quickest he's ever been. Uh, the most ex explosive he's ever been. And I think the most confident because of all of those things, Jamal Murray has never been in that shape before. So I think his footwork is there. His touch around the rim is there. His passing is better than ever. And I think his floor general game is better than ever. But as, to your point, his athleticism and his explosiveness is not what it was. But I do wonder, the Nuggets have taken their foot off the gas pedal, you know, the last six weeks of the regular season or whatever. I do wonder if he used that time to work on his body. And, and I don't love it. I wish he would have done that. I think some players, I always compare him to Devin Booker. I think Devin Booker was this way where he was in 98th percentile shape his whole career, but something clicked for him about three, four years ago where he got in a hundredth percentile shape. He just really got that extra little bit of athleticism and speed out of himself, quickness. And, and obviously he went to another level. So Jamal Murray, my question in game one, he had a move on towns in the fourth quarter. The game was already out of hand, but he had this little hesitation move right at the basket and gets a reverse on him that I was thinking, that's the part of his game that that extra 2% of athleticism unlocks for him. The ability to beat you in five feet of space. Is he quick enough to make a little hesitation move and get past you to finish at the cup? He did it in game one. So I'm hopeful that he sort of eased the regular season, eased his way back onto the court, and then tried to get to that 100th percentile athleticism in the last month. We covered the draft often here, and I've been a big proponent on Bones Highlands game since the VCU days, why do you feel like it didn't work out in Denver? It wasn't talent. I mean, the guy has an enormous amount of talent. I'm with you. That guy, when you just go through the skill set, he's so quick. He has such a good shot. His, he's an underrated playmaker, all of those things. And then he has good length. You know, obviously he's undersized in terms of weight, but he's got really good length. I love every aspect of his game. It was a personality clash. I believe it was a personality clash, I should say, um, really between him and Jamal. But I think really between him and a lot of the veteran players on the team, 
Um, it's hard, I think, for a young guy who has that talent. I, Michael Porter went through this exact same arc, and I think it's one of the reasons Michael Porter connected with him the way that he did was when you're young and you have talent, it's hard for you to see what you don't see. So you get into the practice and you're killing these guys. You go to open gym, you're killing these guys, and you're thinking, why am I uh, you know, on the bench and told to do this and told to do that when I get into practice and I kill these dudes? And it's, again, there's a difference between that and what happens at the NBA level in terms of are you defending well? Are you reading the court well? Are you doing all these other things? And I just think with Bones, he was a young, talented player who got a gap year because Murray was out, Porter was out. He got to step up into an elevated role. And then when those guys came back, he actually went down. Very rarely does a rookie go, our second year player have a good year and then go backwards in the pecking order. That happened. I think it created some frustrations. And then I think there was just a personality clash between him and some of the key guys. I think that's the oldest story in basketball. When you hear somebody talk about why they didn't play, but I've been killing people in practice. You know, right. when I get in the games, I score in bunches. But there is there is more to it than just that. A hundred percent, man. And I, you know what's funny? Jordan Poole is another guy that I think is very similar to, to Bones. And his arc with Golden State is interesting in contrast to Denver because both of those guys clashed with – both of those guys are super talented, super quick, and you can imagine both guys killing people in open runs. 100%. But also like, like Bones, Jordan Poole got to enter that team in an era where Steph Curry was out for most of the year, Draymond Green, Clay Thompson was out. So he got to go right into sort of an elevated – role where he got to be big then when those guys came back there were a little bit of clashes of man this guy's cocky he doesn't know what he doesn't know he doesn't listen he doesn't do all these things but i think the leadership in golden state is probably the best in the nba and they were able to handle that to some extent now this year of course there was the fight there was different things so obviously it's a razor's edge but the fact that they were able to hold on to jordan pool develop him and then win a championship with him last year and then Denver obviously losing Bones Highland in the manner that they did. It, to me, is a little bit of a – shows you a little bit of a contrast. I think Denver has great culture, but maybe Golden State would have handled it just slightly different. Yeah, and I feel like also getting Reggie in return, it gives you somewhat of an insurance policy in that type of player, right? Like if you need somebody like that to come and, you know, do his thing, be that open run type player that you're talking about, like you still have a guy like that on the bench. I wonder how much Denver will go to him because I do think he's – in some ways as volatile as bones like Reggie is a guy that's going to put up five or six shots. you put him out there for five minutes he's going to get five or six shots up and i don't know that he's going to create wide open layups for everyone else or open threes Mm -hmm. i don't think he's that but to your point he is a guy who especially in the playoffs has proven to be able to make shots in tough moments and in tough situations and we'll see i think michael malone will call his number at some point in these playoffs yeah and he could he could win a quarter for you he could win a game for you if he goes off um, I don't know if there's so much to take away from this series, but what was your biggest take? Because I, I think it's going to be like four or five games, but what was your biggest takeaway from game one? This one's easy. The Nuggets have been in cruise control for the last five weeks of the season, four or five weeks. And you start to wonder, is that going to bite them in the ass? Is that going to be a thing where they come out in game one and they're a little rusty and it's hard to turn the dial up? Not the case at all. They, they Their intensity on defense, their attention to detail – and their execution on the defensive end was very impressive. Now, they're going up against a team that I think it's easier to be, be that execute defensively at that level because they have guys that don't require your full attention. Kyle Anderson, they played McLaughlin for a while. But nonetheless, the way Denver just outclassed them defensively to me was, okay, that's what I needed to see to know that Denver could play defense in the playoffs. What does the focus have to be for the Nuggets defensively? Because, of course, that is the biggest question. 
Um, I think it's rotations because Jokic is not a great rim protector. You're going to bring him up. You're going to extend him. You're going to use him at the, you know, outside the paint a lot on pick and rolls. So but because of that, you're going to have to rotate behind him and be on point with those rotations. And I think for Denver, that's what it is. That's a hard thing to do. You need length. You need speed. But more importantly, you need connectedness. You need everybody rotating together, communicating together. And that's why I always say this. Denver can be good defensively, but it takes a lot of effort. And it's the reason I don't think they're a good regular season defensive team. Who wants to put forth maximum effort on defense for 82 games? It's not even smart to do that. They were great defensively in fourth quarters and in the clutch. And that was one of the things where just watching them, I say, I think they have it in them. They just have to try hard. Some teams like Milwaukee doesn't have to try hard to be good defensively. Yeah. They have great defensive players. They can give an 80% effort. And, and, the, length, and the length is ridiculous. That's part of and, it too. And, and the length and also just good defenders. I mean, they yeah, have guys yeah, that yeah. naturally know what they're doing, but they don't have to be locked in to play a good defensive game. They have to, to be a, a great defensive game, but to play a good one, they don't. Denver offensively doesn't have to be locked in to have a good offensive game. It comes naturally to them. They have talent. But defensively, it requires an A effort for them. The diminishing returns on effort for them defensively is very steep. Not full effort, you actually look bad. You don't just look good, you look bad. And I think Denver in game one, you saw, okay, there it is. Good effort, great defense. Dang on effort, I mean, you've been covering the league for a while now. Do you see the biggest gap in difference of intensity when we're comparing the regular season to the playoffs? And is there anything that could be done to fix that? The, I always say that the thing, because I'm with you, man, I, this was the year that really broke me in terms of like, man, the NBA, these guys just are not trying anymore. And it's so hard. People ask me like, how good is Denver? I'm like, I don't know, man. They played 82 games and only 10 of them mattered. 10 of them were like even strength matchups. I don't think there's anything you can do to legislate. Hey, and I know that's what Adam Silver's trying to do with this play in tournament and with this new middle season tournament or what have you. I don't think any of that's going to matter. I think it is a cultural shift. I've told this story on podcasts a few times. We lost a lot when we lost Kobe because I really do think that he was a guy that was going to do media on his own terms and have an influence in the media. The media has an influence on the league and the way it's talked about and the way players view themselves and this or that. I think Kobe would have looked at some of the trends, the all-star game in particular, and been and just come out and said, you guys are all losers for not caring. You don't need money to care about everything. You're making $180 million on, a con on one contract. You have enough money. You need to nurture the thing that you have been handed down by myself and by all the other people um, that came before you in this league. And I, I think you need some of those voices that we're lacking right now just to tell the players like, hey, man, I know it's smarter for you to rest 20 games a year. I know it's smarter for you not to care about this or that. But it's also like just tells you something about yourself when you just take pride in going out and competing with guys every single night. So I think it's cultural, not necessarily something that can be legislated out. How many teams in the West do you think could legitimately win a title at this point? It's a great question. Um, I mean, I think Denver can. I think um, <laughs> it's weird to say I think Golden State can because they haven't done it yet and they're down 0-2. Like, they're in a really, really tight spot. But I do think that they have it in them to get to that level. What I've seen from Sacramento, I would not have included Sacramento in this list two games ago. But what they've shown me in these playoffs, the execution, the confidence, the shot making, we'll see. i got to see it on the road before I really put them in. But I'm ready to because they've impressed me so much with how they've executed in the clutch. And I, then, I, I, I had Kings in seven. What did you have before this before the series? 
I mean, I would have Warriors in six. I don't think I picked it, but I would have yeah. had Warriors in six. Usually you yeah. pick the road team in six or whatever. But so I would have I would have probably said Warriors in six, which is still possible, but yeah. Um, but I'm so impressed with the Kings. I don't really buy the Suns and Clippers like most people do. I mean, the Suns are so like when you say can they come out of the West, yes, can they win the championship? I don't think they can just because at some point their depth is going to matter to them. And do I really believe that Chris Paul and Kevin Durant can play four tough series, which is what they're going to have to do? I just don't. So yeah. I always put those two teams – I'll put the Clippers in there because they will get reinforcements. But the Suns, I actually don't think they can. I'm with you. I mean, I texted a friend the other day. He said, who do you think is coming out the West? And he said, do you think it's the Suns? I'm like, no. And to your point, yes, I totally agree with you. And also, like, just to – I know, like, KD is one of the most malleable stars in the NBA. But to drop a guy in that late in the season yep. and get chemistry – and this was before yep. this first game I said that. Right. I thought that would be incredibly tough. Yeah, it, it definitely – and you have to learn who you are in different situations. And yeah. and that's the thing is they look great in sort of neutral situations. That's the regular season, right? Teams are not adjusting to you. You're not in clutch, this or that. In the playoffs, it's like what do we do when a team is doubling this type of pick and roll and this type of thing? That's the chemistry that gets revealed to you in a playoffs. If you have gaps, those get exploited. And they're just going to have gaps that manifest themselves over these weeks. And then on top of that, their fifth best player – Josh Kogi, Tory Craig, like their fifth best player is very suspect in ways that I think will get exploited the more talented teams they play. There it is, Adam. Short and sweet. Thank you so much for taking the time. Where can we find you, man? Um, it's always great hearing you. You don't, you know, you talk way more than just your platform. You're all over the place talking across the <laughs> NBA landscape. But uh, where can we find your podcast and where can we find you everywhere else? The best thing people can do is if you want the post-game show, we go live on YouTube at the DMVR YouTube page after every single game. It's a very unique way of covering it. A little bit of X's and O's, a lot of fun, panel, interaction. It's just uh, I like the way that we've molded our show. So that's the number one thing. Or you can just check out the DMVR Nuggets podcast. And Twitter? Uh, D- Adam underscore Mares, M-A-R-E-S. <laughs> Thank you so much for taking the time, Adam. You're always welcome back and talk soon. Thanks, buddy. There it was, episode four, six, three is in the books. Big shouts to Adam for joining in Combo Nation. Don't forget to punch down on that subscribe button if you haven't already. Share this episode with a friend. Share it on Twitter. You could tag me on there at Combos Court. Same name as the podcast. Share it on your IG stories. That's right. Take a screenshot of this episode. Share it on your stories. You can find me on Instagram at 12combo. That's O-N-E-T-W-O-C-O-M-B-O. And be on the lookout for episode 464 combo out.